Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. So glad you're here. Let's celebrate God's goodness. Just say it out. God, you are good. God, you are good. One more time. God, you are good. Woo. Yes, yes. Sometimes you just kind of let the praise burst out, you know. Just because we didn't have a drum set in worship didn't mean we can't just go ahead and say, God, you are good. Yeah, don't leave me hanging. God, you are good. Yeah, amen, amen. I want to say welcome to everybody. If you're joining us uh, out on the patio, so glad we could be together. If you're online at home, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're going to spend some time in God's word together. But I, I, was, uh, I was listening to a podcast, the Rebuilders podcast a, a while ago, a couple months ago. And uh, they were talking about this guy named Sinjin Phillips or something. And something about oil fields and Saudi Arabia. And, and, and I was trying to remember what it was. And so I was searching for this you know how you hear something once and you, you can't quite remember exactly what it is, but you're trying to find out about it. So I'm Googling about it. Sinjin, Phillips, oil fields, Saudi Arabia, trying to find this thing because there was something intriguing to me. Well, I couldn't find it, but I stumbled upon something else about Saudi Arabia oil fields. And, and I'll share this with you. There's a guy named Fred Davies in 1932, way back uh, he's sent out from Southern California, from the Standard Oil Company of Southern California. This guy was sent over to Bahrain, and because he was a, a geologist with a degree in geology and mining, his job was to find out where the oil was and, and help the company drill for oil. And they did, and they drilled. He found this certain uh, group of mountains and, and knew that from his training there would be oil there in Bahrain. So they drilled and they found oil. And, and he was one day hiking up to the top of this little group of mountains where they had found oil. And then he turned and he looked across uh, the waters over into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, over here, where nobody was doing anything at that point. And he, he, he took out his binoculars, he's looking across the waters, and he sees in this, in this kingdom of Saudi Arabia this collection of mountain peaks forming a kind of a dome, and it was even way bigger than the one he had in Bahrain. And he saw that, and he took his binoculars down and said to himself, I wonder if there's oil over there too. I wonder if maybe there's even more oil there than what we got here in Bahrain. And here's what happens. This guy, Fred Davies, from the Standard Oil Company, the Southern, uh, the SoCal, the Standard Oil Company in California, ends up uh, telling his company, we got a drill over there. And they're saying, there's nothing. It's just dust. There's nothing. And he's saying, I'm telling you, that's where the oil is. We got to go there. And at his direction, uh, Standard Oil went over to Saudi Arabia and drilled and drilled into what was discovered to be the biggest oil deposit in the whole entire known universe, right? And, and it, was, it was this man who had a hilltop moment of wonder saying, I wonder if there's more than meets the eye, right? And, and what ends up happening is uh, this becomes the, the biggest oil deposit that we've ever known. And that company changed its name to Aramco. And then billions and billions of gallons of oil have flowed from that place. Trillions of dollars of commerce because of that one guy with this hilltop wonder moment. And so sometimes when it looks like all you can see is a, a bunch of dusty, dry, suffering desert, you got to know that there just might be something even richer than you could imagine beneath the surface. You got to have eyes to see what other people can't see. You have to have a willingness to engage with who God is and allow God to move you in your own moment of wonder that isn't just based on your training in geology and mining like that guy, but based on your relationship with the Almighty God where you can say, Lord, I'm seeing something. Show me something. Let me see something. And maybe even to step back in your life from time to time and say about whatever you see that currently looks like a desert, I wonder. And just say that phrase, I wonder. Because what we do instead is we say, I worry. We've already talked about this, but I can't let it go. We look at the dry, dusty desert problem circumstances and we go, I worry. And I'm just telling you, could you just change it around and say, I wonder. And the phrase in this series is, I wonder what God's going to do. I wonder what God's going to do. Does anybody have any circumstances going on in your life right now where, it, where if it's up to you, whoa, no, I don't even know. But if, if God is in the mix, 
something amazing could happen. And so the phrase, I wonder what God's going to do, is meant to bring some freedom to you. It's meant to bring a sense of hope to you. It's meant to allow me to have a sense of confidence about the future despite what I might see right in front of me right now. Hey, so we got to spend some time in the scriptures today, and I want you to open up the Bible to 2 Kings. So uh, turn in your Bible, and I want to make sure that you, you grow to be people who know God's word. So don't fail to bring your Bible. Uh, you, can, you can do the, the second place option and get your Bible open on your app or your, uh, but I like the vintage. I like the analog pages. And so I want you to open your Bible right now. We got to be people who know how to get into God's word. That's the source of life, strength, and authority. The power of God comes to us through his word. So 2 Kings, while you're turning there, uh, this is the part of the Bible that uh, describes roughly 800 B.C. to 600 B.C., right around there. It's, it's when God's people were divided. You got Israel in the north. You got Judah in the south. They're, want, they're meant to be a united kingdom, but they're not. They're divided at this time. And you've got lots of different kings in the north. That's why the book is called Kings, first and second kings. But this is also the time of Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet. And so it's this time when God's people have kings but also have prophets who are boldly speaking into the political climate and the things that are happening at the state level. That's the kind of thing that's happening in this particular time. At what we're about to read in 2 Kings, what you have is this. You've got uh, the, the, the Israelites, the northern people of God, they are being attacked by the people of Syria. And they're not called the people of Syria, they're called the Arameans, right? And, and so you got the king of Aram and his people are the Arameans and they're on the attack against the people of Israel. But you also have the prophet, at this point it's the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is speaking into this turbulent moment. And I want you to just see what happens. So 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces in such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he would be on alert there. And the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Wow. That, now that is prophetic power. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get there. But first, let me just rewind the tape a little bit. In verse 8, it just said simply right out at the beginning, it said, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel. I want you to just say, at war with Israel. Say it. At war with Israel. That's the context of this moment. At war. It's war time. And so if you can imagine what that feels like to be in a wartime, there's tension, there's apprehension, there's a sense of intimidation, all kinds of shin. You got... You got people on the offense against God's people, and it's a time of war. What's going on here? What's going on here is big, bigger picture. If you, if you were to take some time to read the, the first few verses of chapter 6, here's what happened. God's people, the prophets in particular, begin to come together again. And in their moment of coming together, something strange happens, and acts the axe head, the metal axe head, falls to the bottom of the water. And Elisha, the prophet, comes by and does something prophetic. He takes the wood and throws it in the water, and miraculously, the metal axe head rises back to the surface. And then Elisha says to the prophets, grab it. Everyone say, grab it. The axe head, grab it. An axe head is symbolic of power and strength. And what's happening in this moment is that God's people are coming back together again and they're just beginning to get their strength back. They're just beginning to grab it again. Their strength, their connection, their energy, their ability to bring victory, that's what that accent is symbolic of. And so, of course, the king of Aram, the enemy, says, no, 
They can't be getting their strength back. They can't be getting their power back. And it's kind of a little bit like what, what happens and what's maybe even happening with us in a moment like this. Where as God's people, we're beginning to get our strength back. We're beginning to get our sense of connection and community back. We're getting our power back. The right kind of power from God. Yes, we are. And wouldn't you know it, there is an enemy. And it's not the king of Aram. But there's an enemy who sees that and says, this got to be stopped. <laughs> And so attack happens. I, I want you to see this. This is big picture, something important for all of us to grasp, right? That, that what we read in the scripture, it's not meant to just be a quizzical old story from, you know, 700 B.C. What it's meant to be is the word of God that's not just about back then. It's about right here and right now if we can see what God wants us to see. Here's what I mean. And here's what I want you to understand as we uh, read through the rest of this text. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. And I want you to read this out loud from the screen with me. Ready? Say it. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. When we read Old Testament passages like the one we're reading right now, it's not just a, huh, Weird old story from back in the day. No, it's exactly what we just read. These are things that are written for us as examples and warnings for, for, for us upon whom has come the culmination of the ages. So we need to read this and see this that way. Okay, so back to those couple of verses. Two times the prophet Elisha was called the man of God. I want you to just say that, man of God. Yeah, man of God. It's one of my favorite titles that's used to describe a person. Man of God. I have a, a mentor. His name is Richard A. Du. He's from Ghana. And a member of our church introduced me to him. I haven't connected with him in a couple of years. But this guy, the first time I met him, he just looked at me and he just said, he's from Ghana. So he said it like this. I'll try. He said, man of God. Man of God. With this deep, powerful voice. And he just looked at me. He said, man of God. And then every time I got together with him for any purpose, I went and visited him. And, and, uh, and every time he saw me, he said, man of God, it's time to go. Man of God, we will eat now. Man of God, it's time to preach. Man of God, it's time to sleep. Man of God. And he just kept on saying that to me. Man of God. And it was like he was wanting to remind me who I am. You know, it was like he was wanting to tell me, I see you for who you really are. And it's a man of God. And I want to say to you right now, this is who you are. Have you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Then you're a woman of God. You're a man of God. This isn't just a title for somebody else. This is for you. You're a woman of God. You are a person who's connected with Almighty God through your faith in Jesus. And because of that, you bring his power. You bring his goodness. You bring his glory. You bring his love. You bring his encouragement. You're a man of God. And because you are, you have access to the throne room of God. And you run in. And you get insight from heaven and strategy from God. And you come and you bring it into the moments that you're living through. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. I want you to look at somebody sitting near you right now and just tell them, man of God or woman of God. Say it. Say it. Just tell them who they are. However they feel about it, this is the reality. You're sitting next to a man of God, a woman of God. If there's a trust in Jesus, that's just the reality of who you are. A man of God, a woman of God. And I believe that in moments where there's war, in moments where... There's division. And right, didn't we see, I mean, this is the, the, the big picture of this book. It's about the time when God's people were divided. And when we're divided, there's way more vulnerability. And when there's division and vulnerability, there must be men of God, women of God, who step up and say, I know who I am. And I'm a man of God. I'm here to speak encouragement. I'm here to bring covering. I'm here to plead the blood of Jesus. I'm here to speak protection. I'm here to pray. I'm here to stand shoulder to shoulder. I'm here to be a part of the move of God. I am a woman of God. I'm a man of God. And I'm not backing down. That's what we get to have the opportunity to do. We get to be a part of what God wants to do. But here, here's, what, here's what happens. Verse, verse 12, uh, one more time. It said... You know, it's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Well, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha's at Dothan. 
So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Oh, gosh. Okay, so now, now we got to keep, keep kind of zooming out a little bit. So re remember what we're talking about. We're talking about this time when the Syrians are attacking... God's people, Israel. And you've got the prophet Elisha moving in the power of God. And because he is, there's victory. Because there's a man of God moving in the power of God, there's victory. There's protection. There is a defeat of the strategy of the enemy. And there's victory. <laughs> and, and so what happens is the king of Aram finds out about it. And his problem is with all of Israel. But what he does is he says... I'm coming after that man of God. That's what I'm going to do. Because if I can take out that man of God, problem solved. And, and so I want you to see this for what it is. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. That these things are written for us as examples and as warnings. And it's a pattern. It's a pattern of spiritual warfare. That the enemy would love nothing more than to, to see the, the woman of God who is, uh, has influence and who's doing the kingdom of God. And, and, and see that, that man of God who's uh, winning souls and bringing the kingdom and seeing a harvest and come after that one. Because the enemy knows, man, if I could strike that one, then it, the thing will get destroyed. And so what that means is we need to be aware we need to be aware that what we need is covering from those who would pray for us, intercede for us, stand with us in the midst of the struggles and come to God together in real prayer, pleading for his protection. And we need to also grow in our awareness of what God is actually doing. But we got to talk about, about fear. None of us want fear to come into our mind or into our life. But sometimes things happen. And sometimes it, 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 it's, it's our imagination running wild. And that's why we're feeling fear. That can happen. But sometimes it's because real circumstances are conspiring right in front of us that are dangerous, that are threatening, that are difficult. And, and so I want you to just see this one more time in verse 14. It said, one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots to surround the city. And in verse 15, is that when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. I, I think actually his question is a good one. He said, and I'll leave the, the frightful voice aside, but he said, what will we do now? I think that's an important question to ask. It's a fair question to ask because sometimes what we're afraid of isn't an apparition. It isn't something we're making up in our imagination with the what if train. It's something real that is a circumstance that is threatening uh, to us. I remember growing up, my dad used to quote that old adage to me saying, you know, fear is just the false evidence of things appearing real, F-E-A-R. And in some cases, that's true. But in other cases, it's not. It's not false evidence. There's really something going on. Like for Elisha in this moment and his servant, it, it really was a great army that was sent his way with chariots and horses and soldiers. And he really did wake up and, and he wasn't just imagining it. It was real. There's horses, soldiers, chariots, a great army right there. And so his question is, what will we do now? What do you do when you really are afraid and there's actually good reason for it? I mean, our first step, and we talked about this more last week, is to, is to recognize that it could just be that we're imagining things and we shut that down. But sometimes it's not imaginary. It's, there's a very real danger in the circumstance. And it is a threat to us. What will we do? That's the question this servant asked Elisha. I want you to just say, what will we do? What will we do when the circumstances are dangerous and threatening that we're dealing with? What will we do? What will we do? Well, well what I think that we need to do is activate our awareness of the power and presence of God. 
And that's the title of my message, Activate Your Awareness. That's what I think we need to do. We need to be able to activate our awareness of the power and presence of God. Here's what we, we have to recognize. Sometimes what happens with fear is it becomes so all-encompassing that it's like as though it's the only thing. The, the, the elements that are causing that fear, it's like as though those are the only things that exist in the whole entire universe. It's kind of like a kid who is bad at math, really not so good at math. Maybe he's got an A in language arts and a, and a B plus in science and an A in history and an A in phys ed, but man, he's struggling with that math class so bad that it begins to feel like that's the only thing in the whole entire universe that, that he can think about. That subject of, of math class is like the thing he wakes up thinking about, the thing he's falling asleep, worried and concerned about. It's like it's the only thing that exists and it's, it's got so much of his attention that he can't even enjoy the fact that he's got an A in language arts and an a, a B plus in science and an A in history and an A in phys ed. I may or may not be describing my own self when I was in high school. But, but there has to be a willingness to say, listen, I can't only look at the subject of math. I'm going to change the subject. I'm going to change the subject and look at the full breadth of what's going on. Because it's not all the D in math. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. <laughs> It's not just that, that's one subject, but I don't have to keep looking at that subject. I'm going to change the subject. And I want you to say this, I'm going to change the subject. I'm going to change the subject. Here's what I mean. If you are Elisha's servant in this moment, the subject is chariots and horses and soldiers, a great army. Oh no, what are we going to do? And it's time to change the subject and see something different. I remember when, when, uh, I, I just graduated high school, and I made it. The D in math didn't stop me. <laughs> I graduated high school, and I took like 16 months before going to college to travel. And one of the steps of the journey was I was just hitchhiking through, uh, you know, I, I made it through like 37 states. And, and, and when you're hitchhiking, you, you sometimes just get dropped off, in, you know, in an area where you want to be, not necessarily a specific place. And this one ride, I wanted to go to the Smoky Mountains. And they dropped me off just at, by Tennessee, Georgia, sort of near the border, near the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And so I'm, I'm walking and, and at dusk because that's where they dropped me off, end of the day. And, and I find uh, the entrance to the park. I didn't have time to, you know, read maps or whatever. And this is long before smartphones or anything like that. So I'm just, you know, you're kind of flying blind a lot of times and I found a trailhead and I just figured well I'm going to go in and find a place to camp and sleep and see what happens and I hiked in and I'm in the middle of nowhere by myself with my backpack and my flashlight and, and I'm hiking into these woods it's pitch black dark I'm I mean I, I, I'm starting to you know I'm starting to get chills just just walking through the the darkness of the forest by myself and I I find a what looks like a, a place to camp and I decided, oh, this looks like there's a good place to, flat place to put my tent. And oh, look, there's a fire ring. I'd shined my flashlight and I recognized there was a, like a fire pit, fire ring over there. And so I walked over to check it out. And in the middle of the fire pit, there was something like a cinder block or, or stone or whatever. And there was a book on it. And I thought, that's weird. I wonder what that's about. And I reached in and I, I picked it up and it was a Bible. And it, and it, had, been, it had like hundreds of stab marks from a knife and it had blood that had been poured over it and it was all burned on the edges. And I'm a kid just out of high school in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the woods, at nine o'clock at night and, uh, ah, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my, my mind, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like it, it's one of those moments where my heart is racing, I'm, I'm looking around, I'm shining the light uh, and I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do in this moment, but thank God somewhere along the, when I was younger, I had read like this present darkness. And so I'm just, if somebody, some of my 90s people, you remember that one, right? And so I'm just doing the stuff I remember from this present darkness. I'm binding the devil and I'm, I'm pulling down heaven and I'm rebuking the devil. And, and I, I, you know what, I don't want to get too much into detail about what I saw in that moment, but I did absolutely see. I saw something leave. And I'll, I'll spare you the details, but I, I saw something leave. And after that happened, I had this awareness that I just, this deep sense inside, I'm safe and it's good. God's here. Like that was the the moment for me. 
And I, I don't know how exactly it happened except that I did take authority over the evil whatever. And, and, and then it activated in me an awareness of Almighty God. And th this, is, this is a resolve I have. In moments where there's challenge, where there's difficulty, where there's impossibility, where there's threat, where there's danger, I must stand my ground with a resolve. And it's this, my resolve is this, is to declare in those moments that are presenting to me all of the challenge, all of the difficulty, all of the threat, all of the danger, wanting to captivate my attention with only those things so that I, I'm almost only aware of those things. I have learned and I'm learning still to stand my ground with this resolve. And it is to say, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. And that's my message to you today. I want you to say it with me. I want you to say that phrase with me one time. Just say it. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Say it one more time. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Because in the moments where there's spiritual warfare, it seems like one of the tactics of the devil is to get up all in your face and make it look as though this is the only thing you should look at right now. How awful this is and how dangerous this is and how threatened you should feel. And if I want to cooperate with the enemy, I would only be aware of that. Oh, this is awful. This is terrible. I'm aware of how much danger I'm in. I'm aware of how threatening this is. I'm aware of how, how hard this is going to be. What good is that going to do me? How about I jump over here and I recognize, yeah, that's true. But that's not the only thing I'm aware of. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. And I'm going to say it over my circumstance that is challenging and difficult right now. I'm going to say it over my physical body that presents to me pain and challenges. I'm going to say it over the relationship that seems to be breaking. I'm going to say it over the financial challenge and difficulty. I'm going to say it over the dream that seems to have fallen to the ground. And I'm going to say it like this. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. And as I do, I'm activating something. You know what, this is basically what happens in the moment that comes next in 2 King, uh, Kings chapter 6. Uh, jumping into verse 15, it said, When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. When you can activate your awareness of the awesome power of your almighty God and see beneath the surface and see beyond what's obvious and naturally visible and see what's only supernaturally visible, you will be changed. You will rise with a confidence. You will know a strength coming into your spirit that has an origin that isn't dependent upon you. And, and this is what needs to happen right now for somebody. You need to have your eyes opened up. Just like the Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. I love giving him that, that kind of a voice. I picture him as like this old prophet, gray hair, maybe scraggly beard and fiery eyes. Right? <laughs> Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And I think that that's something that's inspired by the Holy Spirit as almost a prayer for all eternity for all of us. I feel like the Holy Spirit is praying that prayer right now over me, over you. Lord, open their eyes that they can see. Hold on a second though. It, the servant of Elisha, he did have his eyes open. He, he did have his eyes open, didn't he? He woke up, he went outside, and with his eyes open, he saw chariots, great army, soldiers, he did see, he did have his eyes open. But what Elisha is identifying is 
there's a different kind of having your eyes open that believers need to step into. And it's a spiritual eye opening. And it's what you get to do because of who you are as a man of God. As a woman of God. You get to have your eyes open to see in the supernatural. You get to have your eyes open to see beyond the naturally visible. You get to have your eyes open so you can see beyond the present intensity. You get to have your eyes open so you can see beyond the immediacy of this threat and into a future where God's glory is flowing and his victory is secured. This is your inheritance. It's what you get to do. This is what God has for somebody. And it, it's really what you need right now is to be able to say it over your own moments. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Can't you just feel it sometimes? It's like as though the enemy of your soul wants to go, no, 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 no. Only be aware of how terrified you should feel. You can feel it, right? Sometimes you can feel it. And I'm pleading with you to remember what you, I'm giving you this as a tool. It's like, it's like a, a crescent wrench that, that you could put in your tool belt. And if you pull this one out, and when you feel that thing rising up going, oh, all I can see is how bad everything's going to be, say this. By faith, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. I choose to see it like it ultimately and eternally is. I choose to move beyond the confines of this right here, right now moment and see the eternal glory of God transcending time and space, breaking through into this circumstance, bringing goodness, bringing love, bringing healing, bringing provision, bringing all of his power to do what he alone can do. That's what we get to do. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Second Timothy 1.7 says this. It says, for God has not, why don't you say this one with me? Ready? Say it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. He hadn't given us a spirit of fear. It's one thing to feel afraid because there's real danger or threat. But we don't stay there. And we don't partner with the spirit of fear, which would captivate us in such a way that we would only see the threat. We recognize that we have been given the spirit of God, which brings us power and love and self-discipline. And so in that self-discipline, we choose this stance, which is I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. I refuse to give in to the taunting of the devil to believe that this threat and intimidation is all there is. I refuse that. I stand in the place of faith. I flipped my wonder switch. And because I have, I am able to make this declaration. Yep, this is true. There's a threat. There's danger. But overarching that is this. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God to heal, to provide, to empower, to transform, to enliven, to save, to restore. This is what I'm looking at awesome power of my almighty God. We, we got to be able to exercise that supernatural vision. Verse 17, one more time, Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Sometimes we've got to be able to see beyond the surface into the supernatural realm. And, and if we could, we would be astounded, probably as astounded as the servant of Elisha was. Those chariots of fire, th those represent the angels that are fighting for God's people. And I don't believe that that has changed. I believe that it is still the case that in the unseen realm, God has his angelic host and messengers and warring angels on the ready for those that would seek him and turn to him and trust him and ask him to bring the breakthrough. I'm just saying, God, let me just catch a glimpse of what's going on in that unseen realm. God, let me just catch a glimpse of how you are actually 
fighting for me. I believe that this is the truth. Romans 8.31 says this. It says, if our God is for us, then who can be against us? I I want you to read this whole verse. Romans 8.31. Ready? Go. What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And if God is for us, he's got his angelic beings fighting in the spiritual realm so that we can experience his breakthrough in goodness. I believe this. I'm asking God to help me grow in my awareness of this. I'm asking God to let my eyes be opened like the servant of Elisha's were. (laughs) What I find is that I get in trouble when it doesn't happen. One time I was uh, changing uh, the downstairs bathroom and we had this old builder basic sink and we decided, you know, let's put on something a little bit nicer and we did. And, and I, I pulled out the old sink and then I had to put these clamps in that were going to hold the new sink. And I thought, no problem, I know what I'm doing, I got tools. And so I, I, I just went and, and I found where I wanted to hang the clamp and I just drilled right through. I'm like, I, you know, I can bang, 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 or a stud finder or whatever. There's, that's, that's where it, there's something behind there. I'm going to go ahead and put my, my screw in right there. And I drilled right through. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and then next thing I knew, water starts spraying out from that hole that I just drilled. And it was a hole in the pipe. And it, man, it turned into this whole flood situation. It was terrible. But, but that could have been prevented if I would have taken some time to actually use a, a good stud finder and find out what was actually beyond the surface. Right. We get in trouble when we think that the surface is all there is. Right. Oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Right. Oh Lord, open her eyes that she may see. Oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see beyond the surface, into the spiritual realm, into what God is doing. Jesus said this, Matthew 13, verse 16, Jesus said this, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Blessed. Jesus is declaring this, that there's such a blessing in being able to see beyond the obvious, to see beyond the surface, to see with prophetic insight. That's what this whole passage is about. It's what God wants for for us, verse 18, let me, let me, let me kind of complete this. Verse 18 said, as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, please make them blind. <laughs> so the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, oh, uh, you have come the wrong way. Uh, this isn't the right city. Uh, uh, follow me, I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, <laughs> open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. That's like the enemy territory. God, this is hilarious. This is like knee slapping God. You're hilarious. This is like God going, I just want you to know, in case you were wondering, I totally have a sense of humor. Like, because this was led by the Spirit. They discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria, verse 21. And then the king of Israel saw them and he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill him? Should I kill him? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again with their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Mm. What a turn of events though, huh? What a turn of events. I mean, on one hand, you've got the man of God, Elisha, praying, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The very next moment, ah ha ha, but let them be blind. It's hilarious. Bringing them to the enemy territory. But can you just see the ending of it though? Even the enemies got treated with some sort of undeserved dignity. Make them a great feast and then we'll send them home. Just don't miss, sometimes there's just kingdom glimpses in God's word that are worth underlining. And in this moment, and maybe for somebody this is the word for you as you're dealing with a difficult person and you want to just, you know, send them packing and hurt them on the way. Maybe this would be something to take, take to heart. Make them, make them a feast. Celebrate them. Send them home to their, their master full. Yeah, this is, this is such a good word. 
God, you're so funny. So I, I told you at the beginning of this message that I was, I was looking for something I heard on a podcast. It was on this Rebuilders podcast with Mark Sayers. And he was talking about this Saudi Arabian oil fields. And I actually did find what I was looking for after a bit. And it turns out it, uh, the name of the guy, it, it, it was, I thought I was hearing Sinjin Filthy or something. Turns out his name is Sinjin and the last name was Philby. But I had no idea what a Sinjin is. I learned something. A Sinjin is a St. John, if you happen to be from the UK. <laughs> but when you're spelling it S-I-N-J-I-N, you ain't going to find nothing. I didn't. But finally I found it uh, through a weird way. But here's a story about that guy. Because that guy had a similar story to Fred Davies, the one I told you about at the beginning. He, he was sent from the UK over to the Middle East to look for oil. And he was also a geologist trained in mining. And, and he also looked at the, at the desert sands over there and said, I believe there's oil down there. And he also directed the, the British oil companies to, to drill for oil. And they found some. But what ends up happening with that guy, Sinjin Philby, now you know, St. John Philby, Sinjin Philby, uh, is, is he ended up, for some reason, he, he, con he converted to Islam while he was there, and he ended up losing his mind. A and that was how he ended his life. And that may be why you don't hear so much about that guy, Sinjin Philby. But here's what it made me think. It just made me think, for some of us, that we, we are in a bit of a desert ourselves, and we also need to be converted. But we need to convert to Christianity, like a real Christianity. I really mean this, that for somebody, it's time for you to actually experience a conversion. A conversion from not just trying to be a good person and go to church once in a while. That will never cut it. I'm talking about a real conversion where you are converted from your own attempts at trying to do good to make God happy or whatever that is. And convert to real Christianity where you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. I'm saying it's time for somebody right now for you to be converted. Converted to a, a lifestyle of being loved by God and loving God. Converted to a life of following Jesus. Somebody here today, you need to be converted. You need to be converted from looking for satisfaction in your sin and finding it in the Savior Jesus. It's time for somebody today to be converted to a way of life of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and enjoying him forever. That's available to you. And I just pray you'll find it. All right, so I want us to take a moment and pray together before we wrap up our time and, and just be in God's presence. And, and I want you to hear this as I'm, as I'm finishing this message. Acts 16.31 says this. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. For somebody today, this is God's word for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Talk about having your eyes open. Talk about activating your awareness. I'm asking you to activate your awareness that, that you, you can't save yourself. You're a sinner who needs a savior. That you can't fix yourself. You need to be forgiven. And that comes through Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. For somebody else, I want to pray this for you. I want to pray what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. And, and, and the prayer is simply this. And I'm praying it and maybe you should pray it too. Read it from the screen along with me. Say it. Go. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For us who believe. That us who believe includes any one of us who's had a moment of finally saying, Jesus Christ, forgive my sin and save me. There's this incomparably great power for us who believe. Are you in the middle of a hard circumstance? Guess what? There's incomparably great power for us who believe. Are you right now living at the top of the castle because everything's turned out so great for you? Thank him! Because it was his incomparably great power that got you there. Don't ever be deluded into thinking you did that all by your own bad self. Yeah, it was his incomparably great power that's been working on your behalf in your life in the hidden and secret places. Yes, for us who believe, incomparably great power for us who believe. For us who believe. And I'm asking you today to activate your awareness to believe again. In the middle of the hard things, believe. In the middle of the challenge, believe. 
In the middle of the suffering, believe. In the middle of the pain, believe. In the middle of the shadow of death, believe. There is incomparably great power for us who believe. So be aware. And maybe even say it one more time. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. It's my declaration. Maybe join me and say it with me. Say it. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. God, your power is so much greater than the thing that's threatening me. God, your awesome power is so much bigger than this battle that's right in front of me. God, your awesome power is so much more captivating than the taunts of the enemy about my insufficiency. God, your awesome power is so satisfying when I'm thirsty. God, your awesome power is so fulfilling when I'm frightened. Thank you, God, that in your awesome power, you're fighting for me. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Lord, I pray for a release of, of that resolve in and through all of us in this moment. Whether we're on the patio or in the room or at home, God, I pray for a release of, of that resolve to be able to stand our ground, eyes open, able to perceive. Yes, there's a danger and a threat in the circumstance, in the moment, but that's not the only thing I'm aware of. I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God reigning over the storm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're with me right now and you would say, you know what, this, this is what I need. I need to have my awareness activated to really begin to perceive what God is doing in his mighty power in my life. If, that's, if you're a believer but you're saying, man, I, I need to see that. I need to be able to have my awareness activated. Would you just raise your hand if you're just saying, I need help with that. I want to see more of God. Thank you for so many of us. Lord, many of us, I've got two hands raised. God, would you do it? Would you release that into us? And a supernatural ability to see beyond the surface into the supernatural realm, your almighty power. God, would you let us even get just a glimpse? Even just a glimpse, Lord. And while we're praying for somebody else, you heard this scripture that we put on the screen from Acts 16, 31, and just simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You'll be saved from your sin. You'll be saved from the shame and guilt of it. You'll be saved when you believe in the Lord Jesus. And for somebody right now, this is what you are invited to do. To once and for all, believe in the Lord Jesus. It's great that you've been coming to church services, but you need to come to Jesus. And so maybe now's the time. You might have a lot of questions we all start this journey with a lot of questions. And then we keep learning things as we go. But there's got to be a point in time where the relationship begins. And that's what this moment would be about for somebody. That you would finally say, Jesus, I believe in you. I give you my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. While we're praying together, if that's you, you would say, I need to do that. I need to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life. I want to give my life to Jesus once and for all. I want you right now to raise your hand really high with me and put it up and keep it up and look my way in the back. I see you. I also see you in the back. Anyone else? I don't want to miss you. I'm looking around. I want to see you if you're saying yes to Jesus right there in the middle. And if there's anyone else... If you're on the patio, we've got a team out there to connect with. And online, just type into the comments and say, I need to say yes to Jesus. And would you pray with me? Those, uh, those of you who had your hand raised, you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Pray with me like this. Start simple. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Just say it. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Say it again with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And I'll say, I give you my life. I'm turning from sin and shame and wickedness and I'm turning to you, Jesus. And I'm asking for your salvation gift. I want to receive that gift of eternal life. Thank you for giving me that gift. I receive it now. And just say it to him. Jesus Christ, you're my Savior and my Lord from this moment on. Thank you, God, for new life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you together. We praise you, Lord. Begin to lift your voice right now and just simply say, God, I love you. I honor you. 
you're my saving king and your great power is my hope. My hope is in you, God. My hope is in you, God, and my praise is for you, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Just lift your voice for a second and say, I praise you, Lord Jesus. Come on, don't let this moment be passive. Just tell him, I praise you, Lord Jesus. You say, I praise you, Lord. Just lift your voice with a cry of praise and just say, I praise you, Lord. In the middle of the battle, I praise you, Lord. In the middle of the struggle, I praise you, Lord. In the middle of the shadows, I praise you, Lord. In the middle of the threats, I praise you, Lord. Oh, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Oh, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. I declare, I declare, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. Oh, I'm aware, I'm aware of the awesome power of my almighty God. I declare it again, say, Shout your praise, clap your hands to him, thank him for his goodness. It's your breath in our lungs. You sing it. Yeah.